Welcome to another Pro Video Coalition podcast. Today we are talking about all things cameras. We're here with regular contributors to Pro Video Coalition, Brian Hallett. Brian, how you doing? Hi, how you doing? Good. And Kenny McMillan. Kenny. Hello. And I'm Damien Allen, and I am going to be the dummy that is asking the questions because I'm a visual effects guy. And apart from getting angry about what was shot on set, I really don't spend a lot of time with cameras. So I'm the, the perfect guy to ask the stupid questions. But I do know there has been some massive news. Obviously, we all know we're all hiding at home on COVID still, which is remarkable. Who would have thought in March that we'd be here now? So we didn't have NAB. And it seems like there's been a bunch of camera announcements. Also, we're not having IBC. And so it just seems like these have trickled out a little bit haphazardly. But uh, big news from Blackmagic, Canon, Sony, Red, even big news about Olympus. So, so let's just dive right in. You know, usually just to, for people who don't know, NAB is everyone just kind of dumps everything at NAB. Like here's all the announcements all at once. And it's a very busy week. And if you're not the top five announcements, if you don't make noise, loud enough noise, then you don't get attention. Right. And it, it takes all summer maybe to push a product. I think COVID has really shown some companies the benefit maybe of of releasing things at different times. Take Blackmagic, for example, and uh, Canon with C300. And C300 came out at NAB, technically, you know, online. But the Blackmagic is a good example. It came out this summer, like the announcement was this summer, where we might have seen an example of it at NAB and it wouldn't have been ready yet. Right, right. Is it, uh, have people got their hands on that 12K? No. Uh, I've talked to John Barley. I have a post coming up next week about his use of it, but it's supposed to be in the hands of high-level VPs who are so high-level. It's like a this like a joke, I think, <laughs> in the DP world. The better you are, the more awards you won, the worse your website is. And, uh, no, that is true. That is <laughs> yeah. absolutely true. So my website's great. but Mine's uh, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And your, your website is good, actually. You shouldn't, yeah. I mean, but your work is good, too. So you're like an outlier. Thanks, man. But uh, from what I understand, is their social media is not super great. And we're supposed to expect this video from them relatively soon. Soon being September-ish? Ish? Well, yeah. let's, did, let me ask you guys this. Did, did 12K catch you by surprise? Like, does it like, oh my gosh, someone's gone 12K? Or did you just go, huh, 12K, yeah. Like, um, to me, that seems like a lot of pixels. It Brian, surprised me. First. I watched the press release, the presser, the online presser, and I was just like, okay, 4K, yeah, yeah, 6K, yeah, yeah, 8K, and I thought that was it. Um, and we released that to 12K, and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, what? And, and not just 12K, but at pretty astonishing frame rates for that kind of data, right? That's the thing that's really remarkable. And, and I do get, obviously, the more pixels going in, you crunch that sucker down to 4K or 2K even, and you've got so much detail to play with on the way down that it, it does make sense. But it's interesting because, you know, Blackmagic, you know, they came out, their first round with the cinema camera was kind of revolutionary because it was so affordable. But it was still kind of like, yeah, this is my B unit, maybe C unit camera. And now we're still all... still looks good. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. now we're all of a sudden at a place where they're actually trumping some of those big manufacturers that have been at it for a lifetime, and they're coming out with something that's 12K when no one else was even kind of looking in that direction almost, it seems like. In my conversation with John Barley, I asked him, like, would 
could you see like I know he's using the black magic cameras on his shows and he's he's got some very high you know quality shows that we all can watch on, on at home and he's his thing is like the sensor and the raw black magic raw are in a place for high high level cinema but the airy still has the the features and the accessories and the usability that it's just going to be hard to beat well, right. and I think too the one th- I completely agree. I think Blackmagic makes some of the best image images out there, and but there's a constant a sort of background hum of of how reliable is it? I, I haven't used enough Blackmagic cameras to say like <clears throat> one way or another like if they shut down or you know what I I tested a Pocket 4K or a Pocket 6K for a pro video and that was my entire you know use of Blackmagic. But I think. DPs especially will get it in their head that like, oh, I have to use, you know, Ari or Canon or Sony just for reliability alone because you don't want to be on set and have the thing turn off. I do know like when I was using the 6K, I had it on a monopod and I was like handheld. And when I would put it down on the ground mid shot, it would short circuit the camera and it would turn off <laughs> mid record. And it's just like a little jolt, you know. And so if you're working on a big, big set and you're used to shooting an Ari mini, you know that would not be acceptable. No, right. so I think that's where that might be the only plan. And their body types are a little goofy, but that's said at the price, you could kind of have two or three. <laughs> the yeah. Okay. Black magics. Right. And just, Oh, that's not working. We'll just pop the other one back on. It's like um, the old Harley. You have one, you buy two Harleys, one to ride and one to for parts. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things on the accessory side that I do think is interesting is it's, and I have no experience with this, but Blackmagic has made this whole interchangeable lens format. So, right, you can go from EF to PL, and supposedly they snap on and off just as quickly as the lenses themselves. I don't know if that's true, but that does make it interesting, the fact that you can be in the field and switch from a PL to an EF. Yeah. So Canon just did that with the 300 and the 500. Yeah, the 500 can do that too. 300 can do that too for Canon. Have you guys played with those? I mean, is it that easy or...? Yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah. I, I've got, I did it with, I've got a video on my YouTube actually where it, t- it took, if you're talking your way through it, it'll take three minutes. But if you have like a ratcheting drive driver, you can get it off in 30 seconds, put the new one on. I think cool. if you're a solo shooter, the best mount for Ursa Mini is the F mount, <laughs> other than PL. Because you oh, can. Oh, interesting. You can. I didn't know they had an F mount. Yeah, the F mount. Well, so my <laughs> wife is an icon shooter. I bought her a Z6, but we have like the, you know, all the Nikon lenses. Yeah. What's great, I'm going to pull this out because I think you all can see me, but everyone who's listening can't see me, so I'm going to describe it. Yeah, Brian's just been showing off his uh, new pajama set. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm wearing a diaper and, like, you know, I'm not. So, well, you know, in COVID, it's just so much easier to go to the bathroom, right? So you, if you can, you can't see this, but there's a ring they've oh, made. Oh, nice. That is actually uh, just part of the mount for Nikon F that rolls, I feel like. And that's the aperture like select. Fifth, a fifth of, a, of the whole mount. And it's mm. smooth. And the only problem then you have is if your Nikon lens has a worn spring in the aperture. But it gives you, it helps you dial, you can really dial it in. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I've actually got, so I have, I shoot Nikon for film and uh, with my F2. So I've got a set of Nikkor primes that I have an E mount or uh, excuse me, an EF mount put on all of them for when I want to shoot 
you know, with primes on my on my C five hundred. That that problem that looks a little more sturdy than the little cheapo. I got to get too close to like redo them all. <laughs> yeah, this this one's great. This one, the the I would say black magic. A lot of people talk about black magic and quality uh, issues, um, where like buttons are upside down in the pocket six K sometimes, but uh, where the button is physically upside down, which is oh, that's know, funny. <laughs> a quality control issue, but this these mounts in the Ursa Mini are strong. I will say. Because I have I've changed these mounts many times, is to buy the extra fasteners because you will, you will wear out these screws. You know that is one of those things that you know, people really don't heed, especially on the on the kind of indie budget side of things. Things like spending the money on decent camera cards because people don't even realize mm. like if you if you have a ten thousand dollar shoot, that's a ten thousand dollar memory card, right? Yes. So, so you don't want to you don't want to be buying the cheap one that is going to overheat and melt and just lose your data. Uh, there's good reason why some of those things are certified the way they are, and uh, you know all those kinds of things, batteries, everything. Uh, you you kind of have to take those into account, right? When you're buying a camera, I'm going to have to buy a bunch of accessories just to make this thing really work. Well, I think that's a good point too, because I think a lot of people, you know, especially now, you get started, you're shooting for yourself, and you're willing to put up with little hang-ups here and there because it's it, you know it's you're, you're waiting on yourself who cares and then you don't realize how important like reliability stability and all that is until you've got a client looking over your shoulder and the camera turns off and you go i don't give me a second i was shooting i was shooting the russo brothers for a photo shoot because i'll do that on the side and i've got the, the client was not the russos and they were and so the client was sitting behind me i had my my xt3 and I'm taking pictures, taking pictures, and then it just shuts off. And I was like, what? And then, so, like, I start fiddling with it, get it solved, okay, shoot, 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 shoot. Ten minutes later, shuts off. And I'm sitting there going, um, just a second, you know, not really showing them that I'm sweating. Come to find out, the uh, battery grip will just make it shut off sometimes. And you have to loosen up the battery grip so the connections come apart, and then tighten it back down, and it'll turn back on. Wow. That that actually brings me to a point that maybe we should talk about the R5 and overheating. Okay, Let's yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. So, the Canon R5. The Canon R5. So we, Kenny brought up a good point. You don't want to look, I, I say you don't want to look a fool on set. Um, yeah. That's why you don't want, you kind of never want someone waiting on you because of tech problems. And uh, You want people to trust you. Yeah, you want people to trust you. And at the end of the day, if you have a big shoot, if you're doing a large documentary, if I'm shooting a CBS like news magazine show, the camera and its equipment around it is the cheapest part. And yeah. so you got to get that right. And with the R5, it shoots AK, but it only does it for, what, 13 minutes before the countdown or overheat clock starts? And then it's off for two hours. Wow. It's oh, Wait, hold on. It's off for two hours? I think you can't record 4K. Yeah, I think it's like you can't record 8K, you can't record 4K, and if it's overheated, I'm looking at it. That's what I'm looking up. It's it, it's it's off. It's just off. So I thought it, I thought it would only turn itself off for like I think I thought I read like 27 minutes. No, I maybe it does that, and you can go back to like limited. I mean, you, would know, you, you would know. That's that yeah. you put it if you put it in the cooler in a plastic bag, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's maybe I'm getting it wrong. Because my test, like once everyone tested the heat, I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not gonna waste my time. This is out right. there. I'm gonna test like, because it's really a 4K camera to complement the C500. So if you so, have a dumb question, but 
overheating is not a new thing to Canon. I mean, they've had that issue since they first started doing video DSLR. How does a product like that ship with that kind of an issue? I think the problem people have with the R5 is the marketing is 8K raw. Right. And I'm going to be a bit of a, I'm not going to be a nice guy for a minute. <laughs> if you bought the R5 to shoot 8K raw and you're crying that it's not shooting 8K raw, what do you expect? There's a C500 Mark II that shoots 6K raw, 5.9K raw. If you thought for a minute Canon was going to put out a $4,000 camera that's going to sell more than the $15,000 camera, you're crazy. You know? Well, it's crazy. And another thing, too, I think, like, for years, everyone was constantly like, Canon never listens. They're always behind. They never do anything right. And then this just felt like, all right, well, if this is because, you know, one thing going back to reliability, Canon has never, I, you know, I've put my C100 Mark II through the ringer for five years straight and it never flinched, not once, never turned off, never corrupted anything, nothing. And I think that might be their kind of approach is like, well, let's put out something that works. So for years, everyone's digging it. You don't have DSLRs that do 4K. You don't have DSLRs that do 60. You don't have DS. They're all, people are always yelling about their DSLRs. So I think this is Canon going like, well, I mean, we can put 8K in this thing, but it's going to be hot. And then they do that and everyone goes, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're listening to you guys. <laughs> I mean, it's like if, if you're going to go buy... Like Porsche has, let's put it, it's a good example. Porsche and Audi, high-end Mercedes, high-end cars. You know, there's the $100,000 car, I'm sure, and but you buy the $30,000 car, and you want to go as fast as a $100,000 car, you're crazy. It's not going to happen. Well, you can it's try it, but it'll, I know my, I, my, my Subaru has a Cosworth engine in it. It'll put 450 horsepower to all four wheels, 600 pounds of torque, or excuse me, 600 horsepower, 450 pounds of torque. That's a, uh, that's a engine <laughs> yeah i've beaten uh porsches i've beaten a lamborghini definitely beaten a bunch of bmws but i'll tell you what that thing will explode if you don't let it warm up for about 30 minutes yeah like if you want if you want a cheap car to go fast it you're gonna have trouble in the reliability department and, and this is exactly what's happened so like the r5 is a 4k camera that to complement the c500 and c300 mark III. i mean in, in my mind it so maybe they should have marketed it as uh 8k burst mode or something right yeah, I mean, yeah honestly I've, I've shot i mean that's I'll that's that really still their fault if they're marketing if they if they pitch it they do need to put some qualifiers at some point and then it saves them the embarrassment of people going hey this thing's melting yeah i i think i don't want to say his name because he he's a kind of he can be a little <laughs> snickety online but someone did a test and they think it's an internal clock issue more than a heat mm. issue. Really? I don't know. I can't. That's a rumor. I'm doing that just saying thing that politics do, and I shouldn't do it, and I apologize. You know what? That does bring us around, though, to, you know, I believe there's been a, a couple of announcements about people getting out of the camera game, but we know for sure Olympus. Do we know? Do you guys know anything about what went down with Olympus, or were they just in a bad debt situation with it, or they just well, decided just not profitable? I mean, first of all, can you name more than one Olympus camera? Exactly. I can't. Hey, I can't it's, name. It's, I can't even name a Canon camera. So the the Pen E, I think, was one. But like, yeah, they just. I mean, I haven't. They haven't been in the same discussion as literally any other camera manufacturer. 
like right. JVC, like, you know, who else makes cameras at that level? So I think they were probably just looking at the market and going like, we don't, we know, we don't, we don't fit here. anymore. Yeah. yeah. I think it comes down to a sensor building issue too. So if you think about like Sony makes most of the sensors in the world. Right. But if you look cell phone, at, every yeah, big cell camera. Phone. Yeah. Um, I was reading somewhere about sensors. If you wanted to make a sensor, a camera sensor, you, you get like one shot at it because so many sensors are being manufactured out of China and Southeast Asia that they say you want 10,000 12K sensors. Let's just use that Blackmagic as an example. Well, you get one run of that and it's all at once. And um, so you got tool, it's expensive. And then you sell those $10,000 cameras and you come back to sip to maybe manufacture 10,000 more. The problem is the person who made the original sensors no longer with that company and that manufacturing facility may no longer be tooled for that specific sensor anymore. Wow. I did not know that. That's fascinating. So, so then, then you're essentially making a whole different sensor, even if it's the same design, because it's a different manufacturing team, different manufacturing process, quality, QC, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the, and uh, from what I understand, and of course I reserve the right to be completely wrong, but um, <laughs> I often am. But from what I understand too is like the, you have to the backlog of making sensors is so great that you you have to be essentially year like a year ahead. From I may be wrong about this, but you have to be way ahead to be planning far in advance. So you might make them, then a year later the camera come out and you're like, oh, that's a success. Let's make more. And it might take a whole other year. Wow. Yeah. Do you know which? Because I I remember there was a big hullabaloo about Red not making their first handful of of sensors in their cameras and saying that they were under the like you know kind of Apple like assembled in America type thing. Which do you know which manufacturers? Actually, Apple just says designed in California. I think these days. Oh I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't think they oh, because they're assembled in China. Yeah. Yeah. But do you know which manufacturers actually make their own sensors? Well, I know Blackmagic made the sensor. I know. I don't know for for sure about Canon or Nikon, but so I mean, obviously Sony may, is making their own sensors. Right. I don't know. Otherwise, I, I just know because I knew Blackmagic that they made their sensor and they could license that sensor out if they wanted to. I think. Well, and just to touch on Blackmagic for a second again, I think the the thing that makes them really powerful is they make the hardware, they make the sensor, they make the software, they make the the coloring stuff, you know, they like they're 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 vertically integrated in a way that no one else is, which I think gives them a lot of power. Yeah, let's look at this real quick. Like Blackmagic, that's a good example of being well, you, I think business is called vertically integrated. Yeah. I remember business school. Yeah. Well, I just remember it from the Paramount versus America case. <laughs> <laughs> so Blackmagic is very well creatively vertically in, integrated from film scanners to cameras. Airy is the same form of vertically integrated, right? Film scanners to cameras and accessories. Canon is, again, still full vertically integrated from printers and screens, computer screens, to cameras. Sure. Sony's the same. Those are the essentially the four, I mean, you count Red as well, Panasonic as well. They're they're, they're thriving because they have all this tech that they can throw into a camera. 
that they've learned from or the patents that takes years to develop and, and collect to like, oh, resolve that coloring. We're going to put into this camera, you know, or airy with their printer in the printing lights. Well, we're going to make that sensor. We're going to put it into a camera. Yeah. yeah. You know, what's interesting now, I think about black magic is they they've got a little bit of that Apple cult following now. I, I remember talking to one of the marketing people at Black Magic and saying, when did this really take off? Because I, I knew, you know, I'm Australian. I knew of Black Magic a little bit. And she told me, you know what? It's when we started, it's when we acquired Resolve. And the yeah. thing that's remarkable about that is it's a, a half million dollar color grading system that they bought basically, I'm sure for peanuts, because I'm sure they were in financial jeopardy. I, I don't know the this, this story, but but then they they essentially just give it away. They give it away for free online. They give it away with cameras. And yet it's that thing that's just like, first of all, the people get their hands on that kind of color power, but it, it kind of forms this hub for all of their hardware and really brings a, a sense of goodwill to the whole thing. The, the other thing I think too is my understanding is that they have some fixed profit percentage margin and they just apply that to everything. So if it's a $5 widget, they put whatever that profit percentage is on. And if it's a $10,000 camera, they do the same thing. And so they really do seem to live by that ethic of, hey, we want to make this stuff affordable to the common man. And I think yeah. they're probably on the hardware side, the ones that are driving that, that have driven the rest of the industry to that place. Absolutely. And that actually brings up two things. One, I think that goodwill is definitely part of, at least on the more consumer side, why a lot of company or uh, why a lot of companies have a cult following like that because if you if you know if you can afford a black magic camera and uh, and resolve is free you become a very powerful creator very quickly whereas if you know and we as a culture kind of sneer at at the higher end you know oh i've got to pay how much for adobe creative cloud every you know how much is a is a red you guys are jerks you know somehow that becomes as as if every product is supposed to be accessible for every person yeah but in regard to resolve something that i, I just for the folks listening that i think is important if you're starting as a cinematographer or you're or you're getting into the space as an image maker it's important to remember that today this wasn't the case you know 2012 and before almost but today Cinematography includes coloring. It includes sure, almost, yeah. yeah, I mean, like you have to be accomplished really as a, as at least as a, as a amateur colorist, you have to make sure that your image comes out the way you want it. And the only way to do that is to have control over the imaging pipeline as, as uh, Steve Yedlin calls it image authorship. You can't just rely on, you know, shoot log, throw the consumer LUT on it and call it a day you have to know exactly what you want and a lot of that has to do with production design that's another thing that's look you know of course lighting but production design really affects your image Absolutely. you know everyone says like oh you know the two people that i always think of are deacons and fincher it's like oh they have these very looks and if you ask them you know oh how'd you color it or how you know what is that both of them are like i don't know i shoot pretty simply it's just like i set up the camera and light it you know i'm using regular old tungsten fixtures bounced into into muslin or or in fincher's case you know just using kinos everywhere it's the production design fincher doesn't have a green look necessarily he just paints everything green in the scene and i think too many people rely on they'll get into knowing that color grading is the end of image authorship 
they'll get into the grade and then they'll start pushing colors around like crazy, trying to make the lighting do or the production design do something that it wasn't on set. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good point. I, th I think, you know, that's the thing. Obviously, sound on a B-movie is one of those things, but it's amazing how many times I watch something on Netflix that clearly had some money thrown at it, and I'm just staring at, a like, a flat blank wall in an office, and I'm just going, who ever thought this was okay to shoot like how how does it get to a point where you have that kind of budget you can just tell by the actors and yet no one knew that it wasn't okay to shoot a blank wall on an office and think that's cinema you know yeah you know, it's funny that you said it because like like i was watching um some kubrick stuff from the shining in the production design of course is sensational I mean, yeah. it's Kubrick, and it's just like the kitchen scene where she's like in the manufacturing, like the industrial kitchen of the hotel. And it's the lighting is just, it's just lighting. It's just what we expect a fluorescent room to be like. Yeah. But it's just the way things are set. And it's that, that level of deepness to something um, that you need to have. It just can't be a one dimensional image. You have to layer well, know, and intent. And that also speaks to the, you know, there's a time and a place for everything. The mm -hmm. industrial kitchen in, is supposed to have industrial lighting it's not the scene from jurassic park where the velociraptors are coming in and it's very stylized you know there's there there's absolutely a time of, you know the, that kitchen has just white it's just white and silver which is a look you know but yeah. if you look at the bathroom where he's talking to that butler the walls are red when's the last time you were in a bathroom where the walls are red you know you have yeah. to as a as a creator you know and, and as a cinematographer you don't necessarily have control over the production design but hopefully you have the production designer that you can talk to and that's um, and I think a lot of indies don't even realize they need a production designer, right? I mean, no, it's, people it's wonder, an invisible why art. is my film not look like the the big budget film I'm watching, you know, at the at the movies? It's because they have a whole wardrobe team. They have a whole prop department that their sole job is to pick out the appropriate props, know where the placement is. And, and that's a whole lost art on the indie side. You know, we can have all the tech we want, but really you could... It, I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches as far as the tech goes, right? With, with a few mm -hmm. cheap LED lights and any one of these cameras we're talking about, you have the equipment to make some beautiful imagery, but that set design, I, I absolutely agree, Kenny. I think that's where people really miss the point. Well, and I think people will, people talk about or think about things in what they know, and they know that like, oh, cameras are getting better. So then they'll think, oh, then that means my image will be better. Because they don't realize that set design is so. I mean, one of my one of my favorite things to do, you know, in Los Angeles, we're lucky enough that if you go to a theater, chances are there's like a little display with like costumes usually from movies from your favorite films. And one of my favorite things to do is like, especially if I'm seeing a film with friends that you know don't work in the industry, which is I luckily have a lot more industry friends. But you know, I'll go up to the costume and thing, and I'll be like, you see how textured this jacket is? See how it looks like he's wearing felt? That's intentional. Like film, film wants to your your camera wants to grab onto some texture. If you're wearing a, a slick, flat T-shirt, that doesn't show up very well on camera. So you look at all these jackets, and they're all they look distressed almost, because it gives the camera something to bite onto. Little things like that that people don't realize, you know, add to your final look. It's a team. That's what I think people forget yeah. about. It's a team. Like, if if you don't want to work with a team, go do a documentary short by yourself. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, you have the tools that, like we just talked about, the, the cameras really aren't that expensive. Resolve, Final Cut Pro, Premiere, it's all accessible. And that's the easy part. 
the easy part is learning the tech. Yeah. The hard part is is the story and the what's in the scene, the mise en scene. And you know, and, that's time. And you're right. The the teen thing is is you know it, it is really hard to be uh, you know an island and kind of be arrogantly aggressive about your personal vision because it, it it's unless you know, there are a handful of people that can get away with that and make a career out of it yeah. but I, you know i came from the music world and i i just remember you know i'd write a song and then bring it to a band and then the band would make it theirs and would drive me crazy because it was nothing like what i'd composed and it gets just worse when you get into the feature film world because no one can really claim the film is theirs because once it doesn't matter if you're the script writer, you're the director or whatever, you're really just bringing part of this thing and it's going to warp into the collective vision of a, a bunch of people. And I, I think you have to let to, to get the bigness that people want out of their indie films. You've got to be able to do that. You got to pick the right people that you can trust to actually bring those things that you don't actually have. Yeah, yeah. I, I do know, speaking of Fincher, like one of the reasons he shoots the way that he does is because of his experience on Alien 3. So now everything he does is to have ultimate control so that no one can like push him. You know, like everything he does is so that he can fix it, not fix it, but like design it in post. Oh, there that's you a, go. That's someone who really loves editing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Komodo. Komodo. Komodo is interesting because it's similar to the size to a Z-cam, but it not to try the Z-cam, but the kimono seems to be better thought out. What do y'all think about that? I I think the Komodo is the first red camera since the red one that is impressive to me. Because everything else felt iterative, except for the Ranger bodies. I think those are great. And I, I wish they kind of would, you know, having a, a unibody, I think, was a good move on Red's part for to, on the professional end. But to create... A six thousand dollar, you know, that the price point's insane. The image looks amazing. I've only seen like two tests, so I can't, you know, I don't, I haven't had one in my hands yet. I'm gonna do my best because I really want to check it out. But there are tons of people who just need a good image. They don't need XLRs or whatever. You know, the amount of people using DSLRs to shoot stuff. Or I heard the Komodo was made to be a crash cam, but like. It can be rigged up. It does, you know. It doesn't have. It's a. It's a box with a with a lens on it. But it 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 seems to be a very compelling box with a lens. I you know maybe it goes up against something like a Pocket Six K, and the Pocket Six K is cheaper. But I don't know. It looks it looks it looks like a lot of fun. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't buy it to be my main camera, but I do want to buy it. <laughs> well, it's 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 also comes down to the size and weight issue in. It's one of the key features for a solo shooter is the is the autofocus. Yeah. Well, and red code. You know, having hey, the ha having red code is huge for that cheap. Talking yeah. about that image, you know. And how yeah. is the autofocus on the Komodo? Do we know? I've seen some examples, some tests with the Canon EOS or no Canon RF. It's the RF mount, yeah. Yeah, and and it's pretty impressive. It, it's I wouldn't say it's as good as the Canon R. The Canon R autofocus is sin sensational but uh, it's good i mean it's it's usable let's put it that way you could use it if your camera's on a ronin s and you needed it to stay focused on someone you're tracking it, it would do that nice From what i've seen online <laughs> not in person yeah well and i like you know you can you can i think red definitely 
gets a little bit too, I'll say, broy. <laughs> you know, the everything's got to have skulls on it and whatever. It's like I love skulls. I'm a big skull, you know, big metalhead. But it does seem a little aggressive. But but this this release definitely, you know, with the cool colors and stuff. Like I, for whatever reason, I'm like I like the white one. I like the orange one. I like the blue one. They, it seem it seems more personable, if that yeah. makes any sense. It's more accessible, I think. Yeah. I just wish Black Magic had called that 12K the, the Goanna just to go up against it because that's like the giant Australian <laughs> lizard, you know. But oh, well, now, 12, I, 12K, whatever. Yeah. I will say I found an article and apparently Canon has filed a patent for a similarly sized $4,500 camera. Like it, hmm. apparently it's got a, a C200 sensor in it. Internal NDs, mini XLR inputs, full-sized HDMI, CF Express Type B, 422 10-bit internal up to 120 frames in a small little box. I'm looking at the, the patent right here, and I haven't seen anything else about this, but these are like these look like real patent uh, files, so I can't speak to it. But it does seem like Canon saw the Komodo and went like, oh, let's do that. Well, and right. if I've Canon that, was giving... Those you've seen that? Those blueprints, it does look like they're like, hey, we gotta get that. If they're gonna go after that segment with red, Canon's like, we gotta, we gotta put something there. Right. Well, and on top of that, I just realized that Canon has been working with red on the RF mount to make sure that it works, you know, quote unquote, flawlessly on the Komodo. So if they knew that they were making that, they were probably using that same mindset, technology, whatever, to make their own thing to try to compete with it. That would be my guess. Cause I remember when I had a conversation with Canon right after I picked up my C 500, they were saying like, this is the year we come out aggressive as hell. Cause like we're sick of, we're sick of being on the, on the back foot and, you know, and then they go C 300 Mark two or three, you know, R five, R six, all that. So this would not surprise me. You know, and I was just right before you said that, about coming out aggressive. I was like, Canon's having a great year. Yeah. With only one, mismarketing moment and I, it's not a miss camera moment it's a mismarketing moment with the r5 but because it's the r5 is a great you know hybrid camera i'm not gonna i don't want to dog it it's i've loved it every minute but the c500 c200 r5 r6 they're having a great year and yeah. they've changed they've totally changed from two years ago i will say so i own the see this is a little teaser for the for the website I own the C500 Mark II. Canon has given me a C300 Mark III to test out for a couple weeks. I'm about to return it. But I've done a lot of comparisons between the two because everyone keeps asking, what's the difference? What's the difference? Because at the end of the day, it's like, do I need to spend another $5,000? Mm -hmm. And it's wild because it's like it's not, <laughs> oddly enough, it's not apples to apples between those two cameras. You know, it's not as easy as low noise versus not low noise, you know. There's certain situations, like I, when I had the, I was stood in my closet with the door shut with just a little crack of light coming through and cranked up to 102,000 ISO on both of them. There's slightly less noise in the C300. The noise on the C500 looks magenta-y, but then there's more color information in the C500. So mm. if you can pull that noise out, you have a better image, I'm assuming because of the bigger sensor. And, you know, C500 has more detail because it's bigger sensor than the C300. But it's so minuscule. It's like, what do you, does it matter? And so I've just taken, if someone says, like, do I, I'm just thinking about C500 versus C300. Do I need the large sensor? And it's like, if you if you have to ask, no. Yeah. Just get the C300. Like, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to tell the difference unless you're 
Now, let me ask you guys screen. this. Are we, are we at a point now where all these cameras have the a dynamic range that's going to exceed what a digital cinema projector or an HDR TV is going to be able to produce? Like, is that almost a non-issue or are we still got room to grow in the dynamic range department of how many f-stops these things can do? I mean, I, I okay. see the, the C300's got 16 stops. So, you so take at that point, we're pretty much, that's as much dynamic range as any viewer is going to be able to appreciate. Right. I'll say this. I I think it's dynamic range, but it's also obviously noise floor. And right. the cameras that I've tested this year, you know, at their base ISO, just look like the way the world looks to my eyeball. Like, it, you know, at 800 ISO, whatever lighting you've got, it's going to show up and it's going to look good. And then, you know, it's up to you to, to light it better so that it looks beautiful, not just, except, you know, exposed is not lit. But, you know... It's at this point we're really picking nits. Like yeah, every right. every camera is so good, and it just comes down to like your workflow and and the reliability and the usability. Yeah, and marketability too. If you're in a certain like in a national market. Yeah, right. that is a thing. That is a point. Like you you hate to say it, but what camera you use will affect the way that clients or Perceiving. other people yeah. you work with look at you. Sure. Yeah. I my reel like I'm pretty proud of my reel and my you know I've had people go like oh what'd you shoot on I'm like oh most of that's all with the C100 Mark II and people are like oh you know thought that was Alexa I thought that was Blackmagic I thought you know but my friend who's a producer was like I would show people your reel they would say let's hire him what camera does he come with C100 oh never mind right <laughs> so that was like unfortunately that's one of the reasons why I picked up the C500 yeah so so people, people couldn't tell me that anymore. So for people that are, are new to this whole game, could you guys break down? So let's say, what's what's the difference between me buying a sub $2,000 camera, a $5,000 camera, and like a $15,000 camera? What what are the real world, apart from the brand recognition, the rest of it, what's the real world trade-off between those kinds of price points, would you say? Do you, I'm going to, because of CBS work I've done, do you want to look like a professional? Uh, and producers to trust you. In my case, when you show up with an FX9 or a C500 or, or even like an F5, they immediately trust me. Right. They know what I'm doing because I made I've made that investment, or you have made that investment. If you show up with a with a with gear that's sometimes and I hate to say it, it's a little, maybe more budget friendly, maybe as good depending on the camera, um, they're gonna ask where the big camera is. You know, like it's just a Hasn't changed since the '90s. Where's the Where's the real camera? I hired yeah. to expect the best stuff. And I think too, there's a di there is a huge difference between shooting for yourself and shooting for someone else. Yes. If you're shooting for yourself and you're on a budget, go on eBay, get that first Blackmagic Pocket for 500 bucks, and then just make sure you get a good battery adapter for it. And like that thing makes stunning images. It does. But but right. you know it's got no. Like the big things I look for in a camera, internal XLR, internal ND. At this point in my career, really need SDI out time and code. time code. And those are the things, robust codec, because maybe, maybe you know, I made 8-bit 420 work for me for five years. But if you're delivering it to broadcast, they will not accept that immediately. Okay. <laughs> so No, they won't accept that. <laughs> no. So I think that's kind of where the differences come with the cheap cameras and the expensive cameras. It's not necessarily the image that you're making, but right. the little things that they've attached to it, like SDI or NDs or a higher bit rate or code. And, and, and I think Brian mentioned time code is, is huge. You mm -hmm. know, 
it makes a massive difference from trying to do some of those audio sync solutions to actually having real genlocked time code on on your footage. Yeah, for sure. In, in, in my world, a lot of times it's it's a multiple camera situation anyway. Right. And um, you don't want a call from an editor in New York going, "I got to salvage this," <laughs> and because because uh, you know it's it's not like they give you a post mortem on what they don't like; they just don't call you again. Oh, that's right. the worst. Yeah. So I mean, if you can put yourself in position, if you got to rent a camera for a bigger job, so you so you have the features we talked about, SDI, full HDMI, time code, you know, parent child time code capabilities, and being able to have more than one camera sometimes is is necessary in my world, and also having the van. People we haven't talked about the stuff that comes with a cameraman or camera operator. The van yeah. with the grip gear that you're you that is expected for you to have is part of the part of the piece i totally i mean i i'll say having a kino kit has saved my behind more times than i can count and i rent it out to my friends so much it's the interview standard to have a, yeah. a kino kit yeah i got one sitting right there <laughs> yep. Yep. hey so brian kenny's talked a little bit about his c300 experience recently what have you been playing with anything I've been playing with, I mean, you name it, I've been playing with, I've played the C500 Mark II, which is an amazing camera. I'm supposed to, I think I'm actually getting the C200 right after Kenny. Dude, um, I might just ship it straight to you. <laughs> I think it's I think it's coming to me, like, because this, the R5 and R6 are with me now. They're going out Tuesday. So I, it might be, I might be getting the exact same camera. But uh, I've played with the FX9, the, the Sony FX9. I hope to play with the R7 III soon. It's just interesting. So it's, and obviously, just about everything Black Magic has put out, other than the 12K, which I am expecting to test soon too. Sick. So I'm hoping to take that to some national parks in Tennessee, and hopefully, if COVID goes away, to take it to some Appalachian trails, just to see what what I can shoot with it. You know what? Uh, on that whole issue, so Kenny just mentioned he just came off a commercial gig. I know. I'm curious. It was a live stream. Okay. So you guys actually. You guys show up with everything. Are you guys picking up work now or is it still tough? So, well, I have a, I'm a staff photographer locally, but um, okay. I also do uh, news magazine shows for CBS and other freelance when, I'm, when, when I have time. I remember in February, I got a call from producers like, hey, we have three shoots coming up, February, March, early March for CBS News Magazines. And I was like, looked at my schedule. I was like, I can do two of the three. And one was like one day. It's February 28th. Um, I'll never forget this. And I called them like, I can't do February 28th. They're like, don't worry. It's all canceled. Wow. And Even in February. Wow. Yeah. Because CBS had a worker get sick early. Evac the entire New York building. In, in a day. So if you go back, I forget what day it is, but if you look at the, the news, that's when they started doing the CBS evening news from Dallas, from San Francisco, from Chicago and Miami, because they couldn't get everything working on the East Coast. So I finally got an email two days ago from CBS, from a producer about something. And so think about that, from February 26th to today. And it's like, was it August 14th? Uh, 14th, yeah. Yeah. So, totally dark. Not, 
And it is the same for me. Like this was the first gig I've gotten all literally all year. Wow. I mean, it's it's a tough moment because on the feature film level, at least, no one wants to make a movie because there's no box office to make it for, right? A lot of, I, I hear, you know, I don't know if you guys get this, but all the time I hear friends tell me, well, why don't you guys just uh, stream it to Netflix? And it's like, you don't understand. Like, uh, point in case is, uh, or case in point is Milan, right? They were expecting to make a billion dollars on that, on the worldwide box office. And they're, they'll probably be lucky to make 70 million. And they're trying to release it, I think, for 30 bucks on top of your Disney Plus subscription. Yeah. And you've got that same thing we were talking about before, where everyone's so used to, like, hey, I'm paying eight bucks a month for my subscription. Why are you wanting me to pay 30 bucks on top of that kind of thing? You know, and it's like, you have no idea how much this thing costs to make. And they can't release it. So people just have this naive sense that somehow you make a mint on streaming. You make money, but nothing like you would make at the box office. And so we're in this situation where even if the whole safety on set thing gets worked out, there's there's not a, a real market that Warner Brothers or Disney or any of those places really want to dump a $150 million film onto. It's, no. I think the risk is not there. The ROI, the return on their investments. Is yeah, no one knows. Like even, let's say, the... 100% Miracle Cure comes out in December, people are still going to be kind of nervous about going and sitting in a packed movie theater. And so mm -hmm. we have no idea how long the box office is going to take to recover. I think I think episodic commercial, obviously, because it already it's it's it kind of it already made its way to a streaming world anyway. Um, I think that's a much healthier part of the industry. But it's it's still no one would have imagined this. Like I look at Disney, I think who, which one of the actuarialists would have imagined that their theme parks and their movie division and all, you know, all the rest of it would have just collapsed at once like this. It's just unheard of. Yeah, I heard yeah. that Disney needed to open its parks because they're, they're like so close to losing too much money, essentially, closed. Right. Yeah. Well, and t on the Mulan thing, like, you pay 30 bucks for like a premium Dol uh, exactly. Dolby Digital experience with the rumbling seats that recline and someone who brings you a beer. Yeah. Like, yeah. what my TCL TV is not going to replicate that. Yeah. Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Well, I tried to convince my, my, I've got three girls and I said, hey, you know, we can't go see a movie. Why don't we watch Milan? They just said, seriously, <laughs> you want us to all sit through that at home? And it's like, oh. Okay, I would have thought of something different, but there you go. Yeah. Well, and I think too, there's there's watching habits. Like I know, I will whether it's YouTube or Netflix or whatever. There's things that I watch that I know, like my girlfriend has no interest in, you know, and or that I'm just interested in kind of picking apart and not really paying attention to or whatever. There's just different ways that you watch things by yourself at home than you would in a crowd or with other people or Absolutely. whatever. That yeah, communal sure. experience is, you know, I've heard people, especially back in the day when film was a little more mysterious, like being going to the theater was a borderline religious experience. You and a group of folks all feeling the same emotions at the same time. All yeah. I mean, like, have you ever been in a theater when a sad scene shows up and the humidity goes up in the room? <laughs> like, that's yeah. a real thing, you know, like that. that is, well, is the a, other thing, experience. honestly, I, I notice in those moments is political correctness goes out the window. 
So someone does something that we're supposed to all think is okay in the movie, and you hear this go across the entire cinema, and you go, ah, clearly public consensus is not what people pretend it is. You know, so yeah. it is that it's because you're kind of locked into that experience. Whereas, you know, at home you're off going to the bathroom, checking your cell phone, whatever. And you're right. It's a very different moment. I don't think we've talked about the Sony a a seven. Yeah. Uh, have we, have you got anything to say about that while we're. So I, I like this, the Sony's, I think it a just kind of goes back to the idea of like everything is amazing and nothing sucks. Yeah. It, the the Sony Sony's another company that has a really devout following people who, you know, will will I for some reason Sony and Canon have have been butting heads or fans of those of those camera systems in the DSLR world have been butting heads for ever. So what is it? It's got 120 frame, 4K, 10-bit RAW. I will say Sony likes to say that their like cameras have like 16-bit RAW, and everyone goes, well, that's more than 12. And you're like, yeah, but it's linear. <laughs> and that's, right. a, that's, that's a marketing a huge uh, difference. Yeah. It's a huge, yeah. Linear is just really, if you're not used to it, it's hard to deal with. It's yeah, it doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense. But no, I don't actually know a lot about the, the A7, the A7S III. I've read up a little bit now. I mean, everyone's read up on the internet, right? So it is a modern idiot moment. But uh, I've heard it has overheating issues similar, but not the same as the R5, the Canon. Mm -hmm. Again, it's that trying to put everything into such a small body. Right. Well, and, that, and that's the other thing that's confusing to me is like so many people, A, why are camera companies building DSLRs for video? just make a different camera body yeah if no I, one's used like totally i love agree. taking photos that's why i have an xt3 it happens to do good video right? right like just make i think that's where the komodo and this rf 300 or whatever you want to call it the the patent that we were talking about with canon just make a small inexpensive video camera why are you you know put a fan in it <laughs> just put a fan in it like we don't need it to be in this in this body type Maybe, you know, here's a thought, and this might be a dumb thought, but whatever. Maybe it's Canon and Sony's way of saying, hey, we're putting this feature in a camera that we know is going to sell because it kind of checks a lot of boxes. Sure. R5 is a good example. If you want a good stills camera, the R5 is fantastic. It happens to be video. Now they can kind of see what the waters are like for AK raw video. Like, do people actually use it? And so maybe sure. we'll see, and same with Sony, maybe we'll see these features and these sensors into like, hey, test it here, it's cheaper to make. And then let's put it in a more expensive camera body that is gonna, the, the volume of selling is going to be less. And uh, we can use our R&D for this and put it there. I don't know, I'm, I'm being hopeful maybe. Yeah, you told me. Hey, I think we're probably up against time, but before, before we wrap, Kenny has a little uh, $20 tip that I actually thought was pretty cool. Uh, has nothing to officially do with cameras, although I guess it does. Tell us about your, your secret cable find. Oh, so, you know, especially during the, the Quar, having to live stream has become really vital. And, you know, I'm trying to, I was trying to use my X-T3 and you'd plug that in and it just wouldn't, no one knows, you know, the camera, the computer's just like, I don't know. 
And then, you know, Canon and Sony and Fuji all released these sort of hobbled together firm or uh, software that uh, it would let you kind of stream, but it wouldn't work with like, I know Skype sometimes wouldn't work or like OBS a lot of people use to stream and it wouldn't identify it as a camera. And then I went on Amazon and I found a little $20 HDMI to USB 3 adapter that goes up to 4K and it's just plug and play. You literally just plug it into a computer and uh, it works. You don't even need drivers or anything. And it just, it every program I tried it with identifies did you, did you try it as 4K? a camera. Yeah, well, I was outputting 4K from my C500 into a crappy Dell laptop for a Facebook live stream that I was doing. But it actually uh, received the 4K signal, so therefore it, did. it actually worked. Yeah, but yeah. it put out a 720 signal for, for Facebook. But yeah, it, right. it accepted the 4K signal. Cool. Yeah, and it's 20 bucks. And then, you know, Elgato's got these things that are $250, $300, whatever. A lot of stuff is sold out everywhere. But yeah. if you go, let's see if I can bring this up here. The, the, there's a bunch of different, it literally just says HDMI video capture on it. This one, this one's from Gudan. But I saw that, oh, and they come in different colors now. That's nice. But there's like a, a handful of them. Do what? To match your Komodo. Exactly. But you're um, right. It's it's hard to get your hands on some of this stuff. Like I heard, like the the Black Magic are like backordered on the A10 by like those A10 minis by like hundreds of thousands of units at this point. So, yeah. I mean, it's mind blowing. It you know, and I think as camera people, we should lean into this moment. I feel like the if you want a job and you can't drive and meet someone. I mean, a lot of times producers aren't in the same place you are. They might interview you through a camera through Zoom now. And yep, right. that's a good opportunity for you to show off what you can do. You know, it just in the in the interview, like, hey, this looks great, doesn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> I will say, like, definitely live streams are becoming more the gigs that, not just for me, obviously, but, like, I've seen a lot of people saying, like, oh, live streams are becoming the norm. When I did the the that corporate gig, the comments there was like eight thousand people watching, and there was like eight hundred and fifty comments through the forty five minutes that we were streaming, and like a good chunk of those comments at the beginning were, "This is the nicest live stream I've ever seen," because wow. I had it lit, you That's know, cool. like like a cinematographer would. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know, obviously that image coming through from a C five hundred looks really nice on a live stream. Uh, I mean, it's it's a good moment for you to separate yourself too. From producers who are just looking at resumes and reels and websites, when you finally talk to them, you can, depending on the the shoot you have at hand, you could show off what you might do for that shoot. And and I think, sorry, go ahead, Kenny. I was going to say, I'll write up, I'll do a write up about that live stream. That would be great. That would be really cool. Just to show the workflow and stuff. So keep an eye out for that on Pro Video Coalition, right? In the next while. I got to say, I, I think regardless of, when uh, COVID conveniently wraps up for us all, this this has changed the uh, way video is involved in corporate communication and everything. I mean, this is we're not going back. We're already hearing stories that you know corporate, sorry, industrial real estate is in trouble because a lot of companies are realizing, hey, we can have our people work from home and they're still being productive. And so why am I spending tens of thousands of dollars on uh, rental downtown? Yeah, it's a good time to shine. If you if you can, you know. yeah, you know, and it's funny you talk about real estate. So I'm gonna mention this: like newspapers do, strange enough, they do a lot of video as well. 
But uh, Chip Yoon just shut down a bunch of offices and forever. Said, hey, you, these, these staff are now working from home indefinitely. Yeah. Leaving our offices. That's yeah, amazing. That, that happened with all of, I mean, all of Silicon Valley is where, like, literally just shows, people are disappearing from San Francisco at insane rates because they're like Snapchat, maybe not Snapchat, that's down here. One of the, one of those companies has said that they're, they're people, they're going to have everyone work from home till 2022. They just called yeah. it. I would leave. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't, Why I would mean, you? Rents are huge. I, yeah. I interviewed for a, um, I don't want to say which one, but it was to be the DP of an, of a social media company. It was like one of a hundred people to interview. The only one not from LA, New York. But I made it up to like the top ten somehow. And I remember them saying, like, hey, we we want you to live here in San Francisco with your family. Yeah. Yeah. You want to so, try well, to put that, everyone that goes three quarters of the paycheck in Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm like yeah. you're not gonna pay a DP that much money, you know, a staff DP to, to live near your facility. It's not gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's leave it on a positive note. So there are new horizons, uh, new things to be done. People always looking for ways to communicate, and it's just a matter of carpe diem, right? Yeah, I have one thing to say. Yeah. These cameras we're talking about, with all the problems they may and may not really have, they're all great. Uh, 100%. You're not going to make a bad purchase. If you've done your homework, you got what you need and where you want to be, just about every camera you have is going to, to deliver what you needed to deliver in space. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. There, you, I think back in the day, and by that I mean like literally 10 years ago, a lot of times the format would inform your aesthetic, would inform what you could and couldn't do, the way it was lit. You know, if you're shooting 16 millimeter film, that's going, you know, ISO 200, you know, that's going to affect the way you light, where you shoot, yada, yada. Now there's no excuses. If, if you're not making the content that you think you can, it's on you. And I think the other takeaway from today is take a set design course if you can find one. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, people oftentimes think documentaries and, and uh, you know, news, you could say news, documentary, that there might not be used for production design, but you have to think about it. You're choosing a place to do these interviews. You're choosing a place to, you're like, you're still setting it up. You're still making it look a certain yeah. way. And, you know, there's only so much you can do with light alone you need something in the scene to be interesting absolutely absolutely all right thanks guys thanks kenny thanks brian be sure to look out for brian and kenny they're regular contributors on pro video coalition and uh, they have a little bit more time to write than they might normally so <laughs> i'm sure we'll see some great articles and they've got the hands on the latest gear uh, so be sure to check them out uh, until next time have uh, a good time even if you're in a garage uh, playing with miniatures, whatever it takes to create stuff, go for it. We'll see you next time.